This summer, I had the opportunity to serve on the search committee that recommended that we hire Melissa to be our new director of religious education, which we often abbreviate as DRE. If you ever find that we're engaging in too much alphabet soup here, as you use, just ask us, like, what does that stand for? DRE, that's, that's that one. The job description um, and part of what we wrestled with in the search process is what qualifications would you want the ideal DRE to have? And we have a you know, long list in the job description of all that we were looking for, but as we pondered that, I found one characteristic really resonating with me that's kind of grounded in my love of UU history. I would love for a DRE to have both an appreciation for the path-breaking religious educators of the past on whose shoulders we truly are raised up, as well as a calling to help innovate the religious education we need in the present and for the future. It's important to remember periodically that this tradition of Unitarian Universalism, it did not make itself. It was forged collaboratively by our spiritual ancestors. But equally important to sort of honoring the, our theological forebears and the innovations that they made in their time, it's also important to do what they did in our own time. Our challenge also is to not just learn UU history, but to make the UU history that future generations will inherit. The good news is that Melissa is very much interested in learning all about Unitarian Universalism, past, present, and future. And as we begin a new chapter in the life of our RE program, I want to share with you three turning points in the history of the liberal religious educators movement. And I should hasten to add that when I refer to that liberal religious educators movement, I don't mean political liberalism per se. I don't mean an alignment with the Democratic Party today. I mean the classical philosophical liberalism of John Locke, John Stuart Mill, Immanuel Kant. Classical liberalism from the Latin root liber, meaning free. And a significant part of our UU heritage is claiming freedom of religion. It's what sometimes is called the liberal turn in religion. If I had to date it, it'd be around like the late 1700s, early 1800s. It's this turn from saying that religion is about hierarchy. It's about what the people in the pointy hats tell me is true, the people standing behind pulpits like this one, right? It, religion is about hierarchy. Religion is about community, right? Like any of you grew up saying the Apostles' Creed? Does it say, I believe? No, it says, we believe, right? It's not about you. It's about the one holy Catholic apostolic church, if anybody was confused, right? Uh, it's about hierarchy. It's about community. It's about history. You know, it's allegedly always been this way, even though it's not, it's really messier if you get into it. The liberal turn in religion is the turn away from all of that, or to say that plus reason and experience. Does it make sense? Does it seem true in my experience? And this is why you see this kind of divergence of people arguing about things like equality of women, LGBTQ ministers, and things like that. That you, When people are arguing from community and hierarchy and history versus those arguing from reason and experience. Like, I don't care what that says. It doesn't make any sense, and it's not true to my experience. Do you see how this liberal move really shifts things? And indeed, Melissa, as our new DRE, will be joining a group called the National Organization of DREs is called Lareda, the Liberal Religious Educators Association. 
So if this sermon leaves you curious to learn more, one good starting point for learning about our UU history of RE is called Growing Up Absorbed, Religious Education Among the Unitarian Universalists. Or if you prefer primary sources, uh, the same author, uh, Richard Gilbert, has edited an anthology titled In the Middle of a Journey, Readings in UU Faith Development. Some of you may recognize Gilbert's name. He's the author of the Building Your Own Theology curriculum. How many of you have taken Building Your Own Theology? All right, just a few hands. It was wildly popular like a while back. So uh, uh, there's a lot to say about the history of the liberal religious educators movement, but I want to limit myself for this morning just to three inflection points. And let's start with arguably the most important address on Unitarian religious education in the 19th century. In 1837, the Reverend William Ellery Channing gave a memorable and influential speech to the Unitarian Sunday School Society. As you hear this excerpt, consider how does this religiously liberal, this religiously free worldview that Channing is espousing, how is that similar to or different from what you experienced as a child, as an adolescent, or even as an adult? I'll say it's certainly different from the theologically conservative and much more restrictive worldview that shaped my childhood as a Southern Baptist. I was encouraged, yes, read the Bible for yourself, but here's what they don't tell you. There's an assumption that when you read it freely for yourself, you will come to the predetermined conclusions that are in alignment with the Southern Baptist Convention, right? The same theologically orthodox answers. Of course, you or any reasonable person would come to the same orthodox conclusion. Spoiler alert, that was not the case for me, which is <laughs> why, why I'm here. Um, in contrast, we UUs have a big tent. We presuppose that there are many different spiritual paths and truths that an individual might be drawn to. Now, the confusion sometimes get is they think, oh, we're just relativists. Anything goes. No, we're not relativists, but we are pluralists. Not just anything goes, but there is more than one way. Here's how Channing put it in 1837. And I think it's, again, important to think about how so many of our forebears really were. You know, it's one thing to say what Channing said today. It's another thing to say it in 1837. Like, that's, what, that, that's the piece I want us to not miss. He said, the great end of religious instruction, whether in Sunday school or in family, is not to stamp our minds irresistibly on the young, but to stir up their own. Not to make them see with our eyes, but to look inquiringly and steadily with their own. What do you see, child? What do you see in the world? Not what do I see. Not to give them a definite amount of knowledge, but to inspire a fervent love of truth. Not to form an outward regularity. I had lots of that in my childhood. <laughs> form this outward regularity, right? No, it's about touching inward springs. Not to burden the memory, memorize all these things, but to quicken and strengthen the power of thought. Not to bind them to our ineradicable prejudices, to our particular sect or particular notions, but to prepare them for an impartial, conscientious judging of whatever subjects may be offered to their decision. Our great aim, he concludes, in giving them instructions must be to aid them in the acquisition of truth for themselves. Can you feel the radical freedom, permission-giving, the respect for the inherent worth and dignity of every person, including our children and young people, that is at the core of Channing's religiously liberal, his religiously free worldview? Toward the end of that same address, Channing also said that, quote, the most gifted in our congregation. Can anybody identify? If I feel like the most gifted in our congregation? They cannot find a worthier field of labor than the Sunday school. 
He's like, it's really worth your time. You'll learn a lot about yourself, and you will form the future of Unitarian Universalism. The most gifted in our congregation cannot find a worthier field of labor than the Sunday school. So it's not too late to be in touch with Melissa if you want to volunteer for Ferrari, right? <laughs> now, if we have more time, we could consider other of our 19th century Unitarian forebears. I mean, there, there's so many to talk about. Elizabeth Palmer Peabody, the founder of the kindergarten movement in the U.S. She brought it over from Germany. Horace Mann, the founder of the first public school system in the U.S. Bronson Alcott, the founder of the Temple School in Boston, whose experimental pedagogy inspired many aspects of the progressive religious movement, uh, educational movement. And we've explored Channing and Peabody and Alcott in greater depths in previous UU history sermons as are all available in our online sermon archive. So I want to shift our focus to two other turning points embodied by the two most influential religious educators of the 20th century, Sophia Lyon Foz and Angus McLean. If you have attended one of our Christmas Eve candlelight services, you may recognize Foz's name. Some of her writing has been adapted into the lyrics of a Christmas hymn that we sing each year titled, For So the Children Come. The chorus goes like this. Each night a child is born is a holy night, a time for singing, a time for Did you notice, you know, at the core, at the heart of that beautiful song is an emblematic liberal religious move, widening our circle of concern to be more inclusive. As we gather to celebrate Jesus' birth, of course, we want to remember the singular importance of his life. But Foz urges us, there's a larger point at play here. Not only was Christmas Eve 2,000 years ago a holy night, but each night any child is born, that is a holy night. Can you feel the power? It makes such a difference. I mean, I just remember growing up and thinking, like, all the cool stuff happened 2,000 years ago, right? <laughs> like, that's when, no. Can you feel the power of that affirmation? It's not just about one person and what allegedly happened long ago. It is about all of us. And can you sense the connection to Channing's earlier emphasis that it's not about forming others in our image, it's about nurturing the unique flourishing of each individual. Each night a child is born is a holy night, a time for singing, a time for wondering, a time for worshiping. Each night a child is born is a holy night. Now, someday I'll have to plan a full sermon just about Foz, but for now, I'll share just a few highlights of her incredible life. Part of what I admire most about her is, again, how, like Channing, how radical she was in her own time. She was born in 1876. She died in 1978 at the age of 101. She was radical long before second wave feminism and began pushing the envelope of religious education during the 1930s the 1940s, the 1950s, which in many ways were a very conservative time in this nation's history. 
I particularly identify with her motivation of not wanting the children and youth in her care to experience what I and so many others experienced of growing up and having the conservative religious dogma of one's childhood smash up against the complex realities of life and just not be an adequate container to uh, hold all that life entails. Foz urged us to equip children and youth to be intrepid religious explorers from the beginning. Along these lines, one of my favorite quotes from Foz is that, quote, the Bible is not a children's book. <laughs> I think she's right. Now, don't get me wrong. There's tremendous wisdom in the Jewish and Christian scriptures. I'm not saying get rid of the Bible, but there are many parts that I heard as a child that really were not age appropriate, <laughs> like, and that it is ways in which the reading the wrong parts of the Bible at the wrong time can confuse children theologically, and they end up having to be unlearned and need to be untaught. So she's like, let's, let's do something differently. Let's shift, she said, from a Bible-centered curriculum. We can still have the Bible in there, but instead of a Bible-centered curriculum, let's have a child-centered curriculum that focuses on the questions children naturally ask about life the universe and everything. You know, it's not hard to figure out how to explore religion with children. They're full of questions, right? They're full of children. They're naturally curious. Interestingly, she was ordained as a Unitarian Universalist minister in 1958 at the age of 82, less than an hour drive from here in Cedar Lane, UU, and Bethesda. And she preached her own ordination sermon. Like, no one does that. She was a, <laughs> she was a legend. <laughs> like, uh, here's how she summarized her approach to lifelong religious exploration in her landmark book, Today's Children and Yesterday's Heritage, wrestling with this tension of how do we teach children authentically in light of all that we know in modern times? Because a lot of the problem with a lot of religion, it's not that it was before Christ, it's that it was before Copernicus, right? Like, we know things, like science challenges this stuff. Notice the parallels to the spirit of Channing's quote that we heard earlier from a century before. Foz said, some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness, the feeling of being especially privileged. Other beliefs, they're expansive. They lead into wider and deeper sympathies. Be like that, right? Some beliefs are like shadows. They cloud children's days and give them fears about unknown calamities. But other beliefs are like sunshine. You need some sunshine, right? Other beliefs are like sunshine, blessing children with the warmth of happiness. Be like that, blessing children with the warmth of happiness. Some beliefs are divisive, separating the saved from the unsaved, friends from enemies. But other beliefs are like bonds in world community where sincere differences beautify the pattern. We're not covering up the differences, right, but allowing that beautiful mosaic to emerge. Some beliefs are like blinders, shutting off the power to choose one's own direction. Other beliefs are like gateways, opening wide vistas for exploration. And that, I remember that was what it was like for me when I, when I went to college. It was like I had theologically been splashing around in a lake, and then going to college, it was like, there's the ocean, <laughs> right? Other beliefs are like gateways. Some beliefs weaken a person's selfhood. They blight the growth of resourcefulness. Other beliefs nurture self-confidence and enrich the feelings of personal worth, right? Give children dignity. Some beliefs are rigid, like the body of death, impotent in a changing world. Other beliefs are pliable, like the young sapling, ever growing with the upward thrust of life. 
It is indeed important, Foz concluded, what humankind has believed. It is important what we believe and what a child believes is also a serious matter, not a subject for jest or sentimentality. Overall, it would be difficult to overestimate the influence that Sophia Lyon Foz has had and continues to have on generations of liberal religious educators. Indeed, every year at UU General Assembly, there's a Foz lecture in her honor. Uh, the Meadville Lombard Theological School, where Catherine and Jen and others of our interns have gone, has a Foz collaborative that continues to innovate today. And if Foz represented the quintessential Unitarian religious educator of the 20th century, our third turning point, Angus McLean, was the quintessential religious edu educator from the universalist half of our UU heritage. Similar to Foz's honest assessment that the Bible is not always appropriate for children, McLean found it problematic that almost all religious education curricula lacked transparency about the parts of the Bible and other religious books that were more myth and legend than historical fact. And he's like, we should be transparent transparent with our children and youth about that. As with Foz, keep in mind how ahead of his time he was. McLean was making that subversive point in the 1920s. Distinct from the larger quotes I shared, the longer quotes I shared with you from Channing and Foz, the most famous quote from McLean is a mere five words. The method is the message. Part of what he meant is that regardless of the content that we are, are intending to teach, the way we teach is highly correlated to the lessons the students will actually learn. If we teach in a rigid, controlling way, you know, it's all about memorizing rigid, predetermined outcomes, the core lessons that students will take away is that being rigid and controlling and dogmatic is important. In contrast, if we teach in an open-minded, open-hearted, curious, exploratory way, the core lesson students will take away is that being open and curious throughout life is important. In McLean's own words, our message is not facts, not a creed, not a particular book, not a particular Messiah. It is a way and a method by which the child or adult is helped to grow in self-understanding and in understanding of others and in full relationship with the universe. We believe in, that the essence of our, merit, of our method is the method of democracy, right? It is the democracy as represented by the search for meanings rather than a didactic presentation of facts which must be learned. It is democracy as represented by a working together relationship rather than a follow the leader relationship. Our teachers and pupils explore together. Exploring big questions and new possibilities without a predetermined in outcome is at the heart of the liberal religious educators movement. Here's one other famous story about McLean. One day a, coll a colleague from a more theologically conservative uh, religious movement approached McLean and said the following about his assessment of the liberal religious movement. He said, you religious liberals, you don't know where you're going, but you're on your way. On the one hand, that appraisal could be received as a backhanded compliment, implying that we UUs are maybe really busy heading in no particular direction, right? Are really busy heading in far too many directions. On the other hand, we religious liberals might say, you're right, we don't know precisely where we're going. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
We could actually turn that around as well. We could say, arguably, it's better to be honest that none of us know for sure about the destination, and maybe it's better to be honest about that than to, be, than to feel falsely sure about the de destination, but actually be deluded by obsolete anachronistic theology. McLean said it this way, our faith may not know the end of life, but it has the assurance of direction, and that is what matters most. Remember McLean's famous five-word maxim, the method is the message. Today, we might rephrase it this way. We may not know the destination, but we are answering the call of love. Love is our method. It is our message. And the way to any destination worth getting to will be reached by love. In a complex and complicated world, we freely choose to side with love. Now, speaking of love, we're running out of time. If we had more time, we should talk about sex, because that's also been incredibly influential to the liberal religious educators movement. One of, uh, you know, a fourth turning point that I will say just 30 seconds about. In 1970, we published a curriculum called AYS, About Your Sexuality. And it was radical to have comprehensive lifespan sexuality education in church. Right? It was radical. We are now like 50 plus, and that now became OWL, our whole lives, right? AYS became our whole lives. We are now 50 plus years into a, a strong commitment to comprehensive sexuality education with our children and young people and adults. For now, I'll give the final words to Gilbert about our lifelong journey of religious exploration. He said, growing up, it is absurd and absorbing. The almost absurd transformation from infancy to senility, from innocence to wisdom, from birth to death. Yet the absorbing reality of choosing a life and a way to live it and give it, growing passion and compassion as arms and legs of a soul, creating community, moving from me to we. As some of you have heard, I grew up as a Southern Baptist with this individual fear that I needed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. As a Unitarian Universalist, I feel compelled to work out our salvation, but to do it with hope and trust, not with fear and trembling. Gilbert says, creating community, moving from me to we, committing one's life to something that will outlast it. So in that spirit of freely choosing to commit to a movement for freedom, for love, for justice that is far bigger than any of us could ever accomplish alone. Please rise and body your spirit. Let's sing together in your teal hymnals, number 1008.